Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. I'm an MBA candidate at the Wharton School and an MA candidate at the Lauder Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. Our guest today is Susan French. She's the head of product at BBVA Open Platform, where she leads the design and development of Open Platform suite of white-label banking-as-a-service APIs in the U.S. Susan has been working in the financial services sector for over 25 years, and is a payments, digital commerce, and financial services expert. She has a unique understanding of what fintech companies want from an API platform and how to deliver it. She holds a Bachelor of Science from Arizona State University and a Master's of Science from MIT. And now, without further ado, let's listen in to my conversation with Susan French. Susan, thank you for joining us and uh, welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. Can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your story? Sure. Uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate the chance to talk with you. I've been at BBVA for almost three years now. Before that, I was at Visa for a long time. And the last thing I did at Visa was to uh, create and launch Visa's developer uh, portal and develop global developer experience. Uh, that was a really, really interesting project, especially dealing with the scale that is Visa and the broad array of products and services that it has globally that it wanted to make available to developers of all kinds. It is one of the largest you know, developer platforms in the world now in terms of usage. And then uh, we launched successfully. We had a great experience at it. But then I had an opportunity at BBVA to sort of build from scratch both the developer experience and the products because this was something that was strategically important to BBVA and wanted to have a platform constructed that could be used to support a lot of different kinds of use cases. And I've, I've been in the financial services business for a long time as a before Visa as a consultant. And I've done a lot of work in financial services for a long time. So it's been interesting to watch how uh, the financial services marketplace has evolved. Uh, all of this started back in 2014 when BBVA bought Symbol, which was one of the first sort of consumer digital banks. And in the process of, of migrating Simple into the BBVA family, we had to build an API-based platform that would enable Simple to integrate to BBVA's core banking platforms. And in the process of doing that, we realized that there are a lot of different reasons why having a platform like Open Platform available for other digital banks and for other enterprises that wanted to embed banking and financial services into their platforms. Uh, and therefore it made sense to do some serious investing in building out a reusable you know, platform that could be capable of supporting all sorts of use cases, not just a consumer digital bank like Simple, but you know, any number of other reasons why a brand might wanna be able to embed banking and payment services inside their user experience, whatever that is, and under their brand. Fantastic. And, and so help us understand a little bit how BBVA became actually one of the 
uh, leaders in the whole fintech space. Obviously, sounds like Simple was core to that uh, journey. But, you know, also from within, is it something in the culture or, you know, is it a wider strategy? How is it that BVA actually still is one of the largest, most established banks that's also leading the way in fintech? Well, BBVA globally has been very much a proponent of fintech innovation and financial services innovation generally. You know, the parent bank, BBVA Spain, has been hosting innovation events and marketplaces and innovation contests and others to kind of stimulate thoughtful thinking and financial services for a long time. And that you know, innovation culture and that focus on the importance of supporting innovation has sort of worked its way down from the bank, global bank to most of the countries where BBVA operates and U.S. and Mexico being two of the primary ones where that kind of innovation work has taken place, not only with BBVA USA and Open Platform, but BBVA Mexico has been doing some very interesting things with Uber, for example, and and other uh, fintech integrations to help support digital commerce uh, in Mexico. So it's a a significant investment that Global Bank and all of their country banks have made in taking a leadership position in innovation for financial services. The U.S. Bank's mobile application, for example, has been an award winner for a long time because they've invested heavily in mobile banking as an innovative service. Fantastic. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, BVA Open Platform. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we'd love to understand the the state of banking as a service uh, from your point of view and also within the U.S., We'd love to hear about your journey uh, within BVA Open Platform. Sure. Well, as I mentioned, it all started with the the acquisition of Simple. But as we were working on bringing Simple into the family, it was obvious that there were lots of other use cases where being able to embed banking and payment services seamlessly into a third-party application had value. I mean, if you look at gig economy businesses, you know, whether it's Uber or Lyft or your dog walkers or your scooter guys or whoever it might be, I mean, they all have a desire to be able to embed the ability to pay their drivers or their workers through their app to be able to extend that service to add other capabilities. I mean, Uber or last year announced that they're looking at offering bank bank accounts to their Uber drivers through uh, the Uber app. And there are other gig economy businesses that are doing the same thing. There are all sorts of ways where even traditional enterprises who pay consumers for things, whether it's an insurance company or a reward program or employee expense reimbursements or incentives, compensation, a lot of that stuff is typically done in a separate sort of accounts payable, accounts receivable system. It's done in batch. It's done with paper checks. There are opportunities to take advantage of a platform like ours to build that payment infrastructure right into their app, right into their enterprise, and make these kind of payments more real-time and more digital. There are a growing number of digital banks in the U.S. that are appealing to all sorts of different communities, consumers, small businesses, 
people have an affinity for travel or have an affinity for or need to use uh, manage money in different currencies. I mean, there are a growing number of these digital only banks and they want to manage that experience with their customers under their brand in their user experience, but they still need a bank like BBVA behind the scenes to help them move the money, help them manage the accounts, help them comply with the regulatory environment that they're operating in. Uh, you start to see more and more companies that are building fintechs that are building themselves around helping you know, millennials and younger generations better manage their money. So one of our earliest clients is a company called Digit, which provides automated savings features for its customers. So it helps people enroll and then manage sort of an automated savings program. So it extracts small pieces of money from time to time from your basic checking account based on analyzing how your spending and earning behaviors are. So you can kind of automatically start saving for things that are important to you, goals such as vacations or purchases or toward paying your credit card debt down or your student debt down. And more and more fintechs are starting to build capabilities around savings, around early investment strategies, around helping gig workers and self-employed people better manage their financial lives. All of those kinds of capabilities are enabled by a platform like ours because they can create accounts, they can make payments, they can issue cards, they can do all of those things under their brand and through their user experience, whatever that is. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there is no doubt that under the current economic environment, the importance of open banking solutions has, you know, has been magnified. How are you seeing it from, from your point of view oh, over the last two months? I mean, the, the trend toward you know, deeper and deeper purely digital engagement has been underway for a long time. It's been a little bit slower in the U.S. than it has been in some other countries because contactless and mobile payments have not grown, grown rolled out in the U.S. as fast as they have in certain other countries. But it's clearly a trend. I mean, we've been educated as consumers by big tech to expect certain sort of purely seamless, purely digital, you know, uh, experiences. And the latest crisis has just accelerated that because of the fact that people now have to conduct business with each other almost exclusively digitally. And so companies that have been preparing for that are in a much better position to endure during this than companies that have been not have not been. And platforms like ours and, and others like it in the industry just help that migration happen faster. That makes sense. And why do you think the U.S. has been slower to adapt uh, open banking solutions? Do you think uh, regulation plays a role? Well, it certainly played a role in Europe, for example, at, in the acceleration of the open banking there. I think, you know, the U.S. is just a very complicated economy and has been a patchwork of regulation. You know, every state and the federal government have different regulatory requirements for things that involve money and payments. I think there's an embedded infrastructure that's pretty deep in sort of the older way of conducting business electronically and payments and such that, you know, takes time 
to migrate to and a significant capital investment to do, where in some economies, you know, who had less embedded infrastructure can sort of leapfrog to newer technologies more quickly. You sort of saw the same thing happen with cell phone deployment around the world in countries where there wasn't a lot of existing landline infrastructure. You know, the population moved almost from nothing to advanced cell phone technology very quickly. Whereas in countries like the U.S., where there is a, hev a heavily invested infrastructure in landline tel telephony, it took longer. But I think the consumption tastes of the newer generations of consumers who want digital experiences, want personalized experiences, want seamless experiences is going to drive an acceleration of that movement. You've mentioned a couple of your, your clients or some examples of, of companies in need of open banking solutions. Would you mind talking a little bit about your relationship with customers? And if you will, perhaps you can help us with some examples. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really neat about the platform we've built is that it can serve a pretty broad array of use cases. And I'll just take two examples. One of our clients is a company called Catch, and they're uh, building a business around helping self-employed individuals acquire benefits that they wouldn't otherwise get if they were working for an employer. So health insurance, tax payments, savings, and they're using our platform to help them deliver those capabilities to you know, a large uh, portion of the U.S. population that is either fully self-employed or partly self-employed through side businesses and other things and need a way to manage their self-employment income and expenses and to pay themselves benefits, you know, save for vacation pay since they don't get it from their employer, they need to set aside, you know, funds for that or acquire health insurance and pay for it. At the other end of the scale, another of our clients is a company called Tuvoli that manages a marketplace for private jet aircraft transportation. So on the one side of their platform, they have brokers who are booking private jet trips on behalf of businesses and customers. And on the other side, they have all of the flight operators that are necessary to make a trip fly. So the plane, the pilots, the caterers, the fuel guys. And so they're using our platform to help brokers book trips, help flight offers, operators perform trips, and then pay and be paid with each other through the platform. And so you can't really get much farther apart than you know, self-employed workers on the one hand and you know, flight brokers and aviation on the other. But all of them are able to do what they're able to do with their platforms through our underlying service. So they all have capabilities in common. They need to open bank accounts. In some cases, they need to issue debit cards. They need to move money from one place to another from one person to another or from one business to another. And fintech businesses as diverse as that can all use our platform. We also have two other sort of digital banks, Wise and Aslo. Uh, Aslo is a wholly owned digital bank of BBVA-like symbol and is dedicated toward entre entrepreneurs and small business owners. And Wise is a digital bank that's also focused on small businesses 
and they provide the full range of typical digital banking services. Open a checking account, get a debit card, you know, pay suppliers, you know, move money from one place to another. So fantastic. And curious to hear as you continue growing and scaling it as an organization, uh, but also you know, as open banking continues developing within the U.S., what do you think are the biggest risks that uh, industry folks should watch out for and, and should build around? I mean, there's a couple. As the speed of transacting grows, and you start moving toward more real-time payments, and more real-time movement of money, more digital transactions, the fraudsters do too. And when you're dealing with real-time payments, it's harder to catch them and to remediate them quickly because money moves very fast. So I think one of the things the industry in general has to focus on is how do we build real-time fraud monitoring and fraud management and other kinds of real-time controls so that as these digital payments occur, that we can protect our customers and our customers' customers as they're using our platform and other services to move money around. The regulatory environment is always changing and that has an impact on all of us. I mean, for example, you know, California has just recently passed new legislation around consumer privacy. And so all of the banks and, and providers like us and our clients have to understand what that means to them and how that affects their applications and their business. The Fed is working on its own version of real-time payments, and that will create another opportunity for banks to move money in a different way. Contactless and mobile payments are growing finally, growing fairly rapidly in the U.S. And as you noted earlier, this current crisis is only going to accelerate that. And do you have a relationship with the regulators? Do you work closely with them as they continue building the framework? Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Both the bank as a whole obviously has ongoing relationships with uh, federal regulators and the state regulators where we operate. And Open Platform has also had the opportunity to participate in some innovation days, for example, that the Fed holds where they want to hear about what innovators are doing in financial services and understand how the Fed and its regulators can help also uh, support innovation. So everybody is trying to stay as educated as they can, including federal and state regulators. That makes sense. Yeah, in fact, uh, I know, for example, that Brazil passed their open banking legislation based on the UK legislation. I was mm -hmm. wondering if, uh, if you think that is the best standard around the world, uh, the UK, or, or perhaps there are other countries that have passed a very successful laws that, that you would like to highlight? I'm not an expert on sort of the legal or the regulatory environment outside the U.S. I'm not an expert on the regulatory environment inside the U.S. either, but uh, certainly the European community has done a lot about data sharing and privacy regulations, which have st just stimulating innov innovation. The U.K. has done a lot about faster payments. Uh, as has other countries, Singapore and Australia, for example, have done a lot around real-time payments for their citizens. I don't know that I have, I'm, I'm not qualified to have an opinion about who's best 
but it's pretty clear that the world is changing and the regulators uh, in some countries are being more aggressive about it. Uh, the <laughs> countries where there's been a lot of regulatory change are ones in which there's a fairly unified uh, you know, set of entities that govern. I think it will be a challenge in the US, again, because of the fact that there are so many different uh, regulatory bodies that each have a piece to play in how the payments uh, infrastructure in the US operates. And how do you envision the, the future within the US of, of open banking? Where do you think we're, we'll be within, within the next few years? I think that we will see more and more uh, open banking platforms like ours uh, because the trend toward digital, the trend toward seamless embedded payment experiences is not gonna slow down. It's just going to spread to all sorts of different industries where you wouldn't necessarily expect it to. You know, Now you tend to think of it as a primarily consumer oriented thing, but businesses are gonna interact with each other digitally more than they do. They're going to interact with consumers and business customers digitally more than they do. I mean, it's the world is going to be much more digital, much more commerce will occur that way. Yeah. And so platforms like open banking platforms are critical to making that happen. Absolutely. Uh, now, you, uh, you certainly have worked through uh, more than one crisis in the past. You're very experienced in the financial industry. We have a lot of listeners who are operators and founders. Curious to hear your thoughts on, on weathering past crises and how do you compare them to what we're going through right now? The circumstances of the current one are so different from, for example, the 2008 you know, financial meltdown. The causes were different. The, re the remediation was different. I mean, this one is a situation I don't think anybody really envisioned. And it will be a while before we truly understand the, the aftermath. I think all of us just have to take it one day at a time and think about how we're going to leverage the assets we have uh, to improve the experience for our businesses, our employees, our customers, and see where it goes from there. I just, it's hard to foresee how this one will end. It will, and we'll all manage it, but it's a different kind of problem than, you know, what caused what happened in 2008 or what happened in some of the earlier sort of financial crises. Certainly unprecedented times. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, uh, we would like to ask you perhaps about uh, your hobbies. Perhaps uh, you could tell us a little bit about your interests outside of work. Well, uh, actually, my favorite hobby is traveling. <laughs> I like to do a couple of trips a year to places I haven't been to before and to get a chance to not only experience the history of the place, but the, the culture and the people. I've been interested in ancient history in particular for a long time. Uh, my parents and I grew, I grew up on a cattle ranch in Arizona and my parents and I would do a lot of our family camping trips visiting old Indian reservations and so, and Indian ruins. And so I've been interested in ancient history and I would love to visit all of the ancient wonders of the world before I can't. 
now I obviously can't travel. So I've been doing a lot of these streaming videos where you get to visit other locations, you know, through video or streaming of of, uh, performances at plays and streaming of museum visits. But I'm looking forward to to the day when I can get back to that again. I'm also a crossword puzzle nut. So I try to do my New York Times crossword puzzle every single day. without having to cheat those are good so yeah so uh hopefully we'll be i'll be able to resume traveling around the world sometime soon well susan thank you so much and also once you're able to travel you're always welcome on campus to visit us i would love to do that so thank you very much for having me and for you know giving me the opportunity to talk to your listeners about what we're doing and what we've done and what the future looks like. So thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you very much.